Hello, I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 31. So, uh, I've got a couple of guests here, but before we get to them, just hang on a minute. Okay. All right. Uh, um, before we get to them, uh, I did want to make an announcement uh, that is not entirely More Than One Lesson related. Uh so, as you know, with Battleship Pretension, we do a live show from time to time, and we've got one coming up on September 11th at Meltdown Comics on uh, 7 f- 7522 Sunset Boulevard. It's going to be at 8 p.m. Uh, cost is $5. It's going to be me and David. And our guests, as of right now, I don't think it's going to be changing, but, uh, you know, you never know, uh, is comedian Sean Conroy, actor-comedian Matt Champagne, Character actor Stephen Tobolowski and uh, comedian and uh, TV show host Paul Gilmartin. So uh, it's a good lineup. I like all those guys. Uh, they're very funny. And so it's $5 and uh, it'll be probably about two hours long. So that's five bucks for two hours of sparkling entertainment. It's I, good stuff. I wish I could be there. I'm sorry. One of our guests wishes he could be there. <laughs> the other guest will absolutely be there. I will definitely be there. No question about it. So, um,. All right, now that that's out of the way, uh, special thanks, of course, to uh, Megan Witzke for being on the show uh, last time. I can't say last week because it never works out that way. Um, but, uh, yeah, and thanks to everybody for your uh, feedback in regards to that episode. Uh, it was very, uh, very nice. And uh, But let's get to it. All right? Enough of this. Right, guys? Yeah. Right on. All righty. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So I've got to, this is the first time that I've had two guests on, and so uh, this might be a little uh, a little awkward. A little one strange. Of, one of the one of the guests asked, "What was the threshold for awkwardness?" I believe, and uh, that was a delight. You so just gotta ask sometimes. It's important to know, I think. Yeah. And there we go. Okay. So, um, so here's the deal. Uh, we're gonna start. I got. I guess I can say names first, and then we'll get into who you guys are. So I got my friend Peter Borud here. Hi. Hello, Peter. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Thank you. How are you? <laughs> I'm fine, Peter. Thank you. Uh, Sorry, I just acted like a normal response, like when you go to a store or something like that. <laughs> no. Totally forgot. And, Mike, right and you've reached the threshold of awkwardness. <laughs> exactly. And can we start this over? Nope. Good. <laughs> good. It's done. Um, okay, so that's Peter. Get used to that. Uh, and we've got, uh, we've got uh, Jacob Kinberg. Jake. How are you doing there, buddy? I'm doing good. Uh, you know, before we started here, we had a rather long conversation. I feel like I'm all talked out, so I might be a little quiet. So just joking, Tyler. I'll be. I'll be good. Okay. All right. <laughs> so what you're saying is it's going to be me and Peter. Yeah, that's yeah. going to work out great. <laughs> um, but uh, all right. So let's get to know you guys a little bit. Uh, let's let's knock off this banter, Peter. Knock ban- it off. Ban- I'm not bantering though right now. Okay, continue. Yeah. Okay, so, Jake. Yes. Th- th- it might seem a little weird because I've just started calling Jacob Jake because that's what, that's what he prefers, he told me. Um, it's not true at all. Not true. So, I like making in-jokes that only two people get. <laughs> so, uh, Jake, you're here in Hollywood, Tinseltown. Mm-hmm. How did you get here? Where are you from? The whole deal. Okay. Go back to the beginning. Okay. Um, well, I grew up in Minnesota, mm-hmm. um, and I came out here for college. I went to Biola University, okay. studied film production there, and I've stayed ever since. Um, 
right out of school, I started cutting mixed martial arts videos oh, right. for a little little place in Santa Monica. Uh, and then since then, I've done you know random editing gigs. I, mm. I worked on Extreme Makeover Home Edition for right. a time as a casting editor, um, and just yeah, just trying to make my living working on films. That's uh, that's the goal. And then, uh, like, at what age? Um, oh, you want to, you want me to go way back? Not not necessarily w- all the way back, but uh, you know, at what age did you start to get interested in films? And what yeah, were some yeah. of the films that uh, kind of intrigued you and started to get you into this sort of thing? My first uh, favorite film, where I was aware that I was watching a movie and I knew what it was, right. it was uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, oh, okay. Kevin Costner, <laughs> and uh, I had. A bunch of the toys. I actually had the tree complex thing that they they which lived was, in, which was just the renovated version of the Ewok village. Exactly. Yeah. It, yeah. And it looked a lot. It looked a lot like that. Um, and that. So I would. Uh, I was an artist too. I would draw a lot. And I would mm-hmm. draw Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and All right. Robin Hood and Batman and. Um, so, ever since uh, a second, I had a, a class in second grade where we had an acting teacher acting class actually and that that i don't know i got into it right away and Mm -hmm. loved that and uh my parents around that time bought a vhs uh camcorder Mm -hmm. and me and my sister started to make videos together so Mm -hmm. around age eight we started making videos and that's that's what we did with our free time that was yeah that was how we had fun when the parents were out for the night we'd make a video and uh so yeah, it's some, I've always wanted to make films. Always love films. Well, we'll uh, we'll revisit those uh, yeah. those videos that you made with your sister uh, a little later. Realize in retrospect that sounds kind of cryptic, <laughs> but uh, they 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 play a role in a movie that you made uh, recently, and yes. uh, we'll talk more about that uh, at the end of the show. So um, so for you, the the film that really uh, got you was Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Okay, and Robin Hood. Uh, is like my favorite hero of all okay. time, and probably for for that reason. Okay. So it wasn't a filmmak on a filmmaking standpoint. Like I think that that's one of the greatest movies yeah, yeah. ever. Although I still enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And Kevin McDonald, who or is it McReynolds? McDonald? McDonald, I think, who directed that has done some other decent movies as well. He did Count of Monte Cristo. Okay. Uh, with Jim Caviezel, I, don't know if you I think it that might one. be McReynolds. Now that you mention it, because Kevin McDonald did uh, the Last King of Scotland. You're right. You're right. McReynolds. Yes. So. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, as far as really getting into like who I like as filmmakers now, mm-hmm. it's obviously very different. Um, Paul Thomas Anderson is a favorite. Yeah. Uh, I love Robert Zemeckis. Okay. Um, I love David Fincher. Uh-huh. I like a lot of uh, darker things for Absolutely. some reason. What's your take on David Cronenberg? Are you a fan I, of David I Cronenberg? I am. I'm a fan of latter-day David Cronenberg. I mean, I like some of his older movies, but uh-huh. I'm not totally into the the gross-out uh, yeah. stuff. I, I really like History of Violence, and yeah. and Eastern Promises was amazing. Yeah, he's, uh, he's a fascinating director. Uh, uh, <laughs> I was about to tell you, an interesting thing that uh, that my friends and I do, where we have a weekly movie night. Then I realize there's a microphone in front of my uh, mouth, and uh, not everyone who listens will be able to attend that. <laughs> so I'll save that for uh, for off the air. But uh, yeah, Cronenberg's an interesting director. He's one of my favorites, actually. 
Uh, and uh, but yes, his weird preoccupation with the frailty of the human body is truly horrifying. I mean, he was a horror yeah. director for a while, and uh, he he didn't make scary movies. He made horror movies because you watch those things, and it is a deep. It is a much deeper level of terror. Yeah, I would say The Fly is probably my favorite of those. Yeah, that those movies back then. Yeah, surprising yeah. Uh, for for who he is. He's also a surprising uh, director of actors. Like he gets great performances mm-hmm. out of people. Yeah. But uh, okay, so you like the you like the dark directors. You started out in the light of Robin yeah. Hood, Prince of Thieves, and then you you moved into darker terror. Territory. Yeah, I mean, and I I like. I'm really I like all genres of movies. I like all mm-hmm. kinds of movies. I kind of if if there's anyone's career that I could mimic and being able to do all kinds of movies, mm-hmm. uh, it would be like Ang Lee or, okay. or Ron Howard. Like yeah, you know, A- Ang Lee is not held down by he, he's he's had his hand in in everything pretty much. Yeah, he directed Hulk and then he directed <laughs> uh, Brokeback Mountain a few years exactly. a couple years later. Yeah. So, um, all right. Well, uh, Jake, I'm sorry. We got to keep moving. Let's move right on. I'm going to move on to Peter. Okay. Peter. Yes. Okay. Yeah. You got it. <laughs> he's, he's audio still podcast. There. He's still there. Oh, yes, yes. Yes. Okay. So I was waiting for you to continue on that statement and then you just said my name. Yeah. So. I was, you know, I'm just letting you know we're, we're at you oh, now. Oh, okay. So you're not going to ask me a question? You know what? No. <laughs> I'm, uh, I was going to. I've, I've, uh, no thank you. Um, right. Okay. So here's the, no. Uh, Peter, uh, question's going to be very similar. Where uh, where are you from, and how'd you get here? Okay. Um, well, I too am from Minnesota. I have to assume you guys are old friends. No, nope. no, not we didn't exactly. know each other in Minnesota. You mean to tell me that people who come from Minnesota aren't just—they don't just all know each other? It's it's not as small of a place as you might think. It's pretty know. big, I mean, actually. <laughs> there's like maybe like what one city in that place? <laughs> there's the twin more. cities, so there's Twins two. Two. <laughs> 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 All right. Um, so you're from Minnesota. Yes. I'm from uh, Cottage Grove, which is like a suburb of the Twin Cities. That's where all the rich kids lived. <laughs> you were a rich kid, too. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> well, there were a lot of rich kids in my suburb, too. But I especially remember playing basketball against kids from your suburb, and they had nicer jerseys. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> well, see, I, always, I went to a, a Christian uh, school all my life, and I actually went to a school where the city was like the night like everyone had really nice houses and mm-hmm. everyone was pretty much rich and i felt like i lived in the city that was like the poor city so i guess everyone thinks they live it's in the all poor city. i don't know what it is um but yeah i basically uh i did, did the same thing i i came out to california here um went to biola university uh for college and i went to the film um production degree there and uh graduated from there i've been working here ever since in the film industry so that's essentially how we got out here okay um, so yeah, Biola is going to be a, a, a common thread. You guys, of course, know Bobo, and so uh, Bobo. Bobo, we're good friends with Bobo. Yeah, and uh, it seems a lot of the people in our in our group of friends all came from Biola, and quite frankly, it's a school that I hadn't heard of until I, I met uh, I met uh, Bobo, and then uh, then there's just a slew of uh, of you know Christian filmmakers that came out of there. It was really fascinating. Um, we're coming. We're we're invading Hollywood <laughs> every year, more Absolutely. and more. We are coming to your town, everyone else that's listening out there. <laughs> Impacting the world for the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. There you that's go. That's it. That's it. Oh, is it? Yep. Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> sounded 
Uh, sounded kind of militant there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, Hollywood didn't really like those billboards too yeah. much. <laughs> there was yeah, there was one. there was one in Hollywood yeah. that had that saying mm. on it. <laughs> they don't want us impacting the world. No, I don't think they do. No. All right then. Uh, so, oh <laughs> uh, wow, you're really you're right. That awkwardness threshold is. Uh, <laughs> I think I'm, I'm exceeding <laughs> the awkwardness <laughs> threshold. I think you're doing. It's okay. You're it'll, doing fine. It'll period. come down. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, so. So, you know, I, I'm sorry to repeat all the questions that I asked uh, Jake a moment ago, but, uh, you know, what, do you remember what it was that got you into film? Do you remember a specific film that, uh, or, or films that uh, kind of set it off? Um, I think as a kid, what, what probably influenced me the most, other than, you know, Star Wars, which influenced right. everyone, I think Jurassic Park really influenced me as a kid. I remember seeing that, like, 20 times, mm-hmm. uh, along with Twister, although I'd rather not. Consider that one. Let's play that one down. <laughs> Jurassic Park uh, and Steven yeah. Spielberg. I was a big, big fan as a little kid. I remember seeing it like when I was 12, 13. Um, and I think, I, honestly, before that, well, like a year or two before that, I started making films um, in fourth grade. And uh, like we, my friend and I, we made like three like little films um, called Galaxy Missions. And we, we made cardboard box sets and we <laughs> added sound effects and special effects and all these different things. And it was pretty cool. Um, and then I kind of realized that we had no ability to edit. Like, we were just editing oh, yeah. VHS stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so I sort of gave up on it because I realized I couldn't keep pursuing this <laughs> as a Very elementary practical. school yeah. kid. And so I kind of gave up for a little bit. And then as a, as a freshman in um, high school, I uh, started up again when a friend of mine was doing a lot of film stuff. And he asked me to act in a film he was doing for our English class. And it so happened to be um, about the Shakespeare play Julius Caesar. Mm-hmm. And it was mixed between that and The Matrix. So this is at the time when everyone was doing their own little Matrix spinoffs. Uh, so we did our own, and I played, like, Agent Smith slash some character that was in the play. I can't remember what character name it was. And uh, we did a lot of fight scenes and all this stuff, and it, you know, totally gave the Shakespeare play a lot of justice. Oh, and, oh, no question about <laughs> it, I'm sure. And so, um, so I did. I, I took a lot from that. I learned from him, and I started doing um, my own project uh, the next year, my sophomore year. Uh, I did like a history video, all green screen. Like I learned to do all this compositing and special mm. effects stuff. Um, so that was cool. And then I went on from that. Uh, my junior year, I, I made a feature film in my high school. Mm. Um, and uh, we had tons of effects in it. I wrote it. I directed it. I acted in it. And I edited it. I did everything. And um, it was terrible. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was really bad. What was it called? <laughs> it was called um, Subterranean Assembly. I did not know that you, you did not know about this. No. no, you have it, right? We can I, watch it. Uh, yes, it is sealed. Oh, man. Locked somewhere <laughs> that no one can find. <laughs> What's it about? <sighs> well, it is about... Um, uh, this underground business that is going on in our Christian high school, and it's a bunch of teachers are getting together to um, bet on students' grades <laughs> and uh, kind of creating a little underground casino of sorts. Mm-hmm. And then and then it, we took that and turned it into all these other different story threads that really didn't relate to the original story idea. Well, you got to pad it out. Oh, yeah, of course. Because we were trying to add in all these cool <laughs> effects because we thought people would like that, you know, kind of yeah. like Hollywood does sometimes. Um, and it didn't pan out so well. And I actually got people to buy it before they watched it, which which is a bad <laughs> idea. It sounds, so, like, it sounds like a good idea. It I, sounds I, like a great <laughs> idea until they see it and then they don't want to buy it anymore. Um, oh, they was, retracted. Yes, oh. yes. So, so wait, okay, hang on. How old are you? Uh, Sophomore in high school? No, this is a junior. Junior So I probably was se- six, 16, 17. 17. Okay. 
hang on now. I'm sorry. I'm so I'm fa- I become fascinated now. Um, so who did you sell this thing to? Like who who did you like friend fellow students? Fellow students. Oh, okay. <laughs> it, it didn't go outside of the school, thankfully. Oh okay. Um, and it it wasn't that many. I I probably like pre-ordered a hundred DVDs, and uh, I, most of the people still bought it. But it was just some people after you they sold a hundred. Yeah, but I definitely didn't Holy make that cow. much money. Well, they, see, I tricked them because I was like. Well, I, sorry, I didn't trick them. If there's anyone out there that actually bought the DVD, <laughs> it wasn't a trick. It was just a marketing scheme. I said, I said, if you pre-order it, it's seven dollars, and if you buy it after it comes out, it's ten dollars. Oh yeah, yeah. So everyone pre-ordered it because it sounded like I made a trailer, and everyone loved the trailer. It was so cool. Used the "Wreck Room for a Dream" remix song. Oh good, um, that's that's a movie you want to great. evoke. In yes. This well, actually, "Wreck Room for a Dream" is actually a film that one of my favorite films growing mm-hmm. up as well. Wouldn't necessarily recommend it to everybody, but it was definitely a film that influenced me wanting to make you know a dramatic, dark film. Kind yeah, of I wasn't allowed to watch that at that time. That was until college. Like oh, to right, watch "Wreck right. Room," but I like it too. Yeah, I saw it once, and it's like yeah, I think I'm good. Yeah. for <laughs> the rest of my it's life. it's a hard movie to watch for yeah. sure. <laughs> so, but anyways, the the film didn't go so well. I learned a lot from it. I learned yeah. how crappy stories can be if you don't do it, like, if you don't do your due diligence in making it and mm-hmm. like writing it well. So, I learned a lot from that. And then my senior year, I did like twenty five chapel videos. Um, okay. I just became the chapel video guy. I made like a, a video every week uh, to a verse. So we'd make these like short films and stuff. And mm. I bought a new camera for that. So I really got to practice a lot of skills with that. Um, and I think doing all that film stuff just motivated me to be like, okay, I really want to go to film school. Um, at the time, I was like, I want to go to USC or I want to go to um, UCLA or something. Uh, but then God really just spoke to me and you know said to go to Biola. And so that's kind of – and I went to Biola, checked it out, and it was a great film program. So mm-hmm. I went there um, and made a lot of films. actually worked on some films with Jake mm-hmm. here. Uh, we worked on a couple of projects. In fact, we actually did a um, uh, an ADR project where we, we had to kind of recreate – um, a scene from a movie. So we chose Lord of the Rings, um, the pub scene in Fellowship of the Ring. And Jake was actually Frodo. Yeah. Um, he did a marvelous voice. <laughs> <laughs> that I shall not repeat now. <laughs> I, think, I think you should try to do it. Well, what was my line? What was my line? Your line? Yeah. Um, I don't know oh, if okay. I can... I just remember one line. Okay. Just real quick. Strider. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that was it. It's pretty solid. That's <laughs> oh, great. I feel yeah. like uh, Elijah Wood just walked in the room. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was Pippin and Mary and Sauron. And Wait, hang on. <laughs> what? <laughs> One of those things is not like the other. Mary and Pippin, I believe, completely. You were Sauron as well. Yes. I was Sauron. That's how, how, did that's you... how good he is. Sauron with a lot of voice modulation. Yeah, okay. Isn't Thanks. Sauron... Was it just a voice thing? Because I have to assume they didn't dress you up like a gigantic eye. Oh, yeah. It was just voice. Just, just, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah. We had to do all the sound effects and everything oh, like okay. that. Oh, I see. I try see. to make it work. So that was fun. All yeah. right. Can you can you do a little Sauron for us? Um, <laughs> what does Sauron say again? <laughs> I don't know what I he says. I have no idea. He says, like, doesn't he say, like, I see you or something like that? Yes. Or? He says, I think Frodo Baggins, I see you. Okay. That that was it. <laughs> oh, okay. And then and a bunch of voice modulation. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's going to sound quite good in this microphone. I mean, I can attempt it, but... I think you go right ahead. Oh, man. Frodo Baggins, <laughs> I see you. 
<laughs> along with a lot of other voice modulation and music behind it. Oh, uh, I'll do what I can in post. More bass. More bass, yeah, please. You could, work, you could work on that before you put it out there. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so anyways, yeah, back yeah. to the topic. Um, so I worked a lot of short films. I, wor- I made a, uh, a film called Shopping Cart Named Desire, which is about a shopping cart. Um, and actually won some awards and screened at Sundance, mm-hmm. um, which that was a pretty cool thing for me. And uh, and then uh, after working on a bunch of short films, it's actually how I came into contact um, with the director of this mm-hmm. film that we're going to talk about today. And yeah. but I'm going to go into that in a second. Indeed. So I'm going to move on from that. Um, I, I inter- interned at Panavision that summer, and then the following year, um, I uh, shot some more f- shorts, and then I shot a feature film in the Dominican Republic, mm-hmm. and then um, and then I also shot like a senior uh, thesis that I directed. Okay. Um, so, and I would go into that, but it takes too much time. Okay. So, anyway, so that brought me to graduating, and since then, I've been freelancing, uh, shooting documentaries. I shot a feature documentary um, on a three point five billion dollar Ponzi scheme in hmm. like Minnesota and in so- several other states across the country, um, and then just doing a lot of other stuff and uh, um, right working on getting ready to shoot a music video uh, next month, and, um, and hopefully another documentary soon too. So, so it sounds. I mean, it sounds as though both of you actually are kind of. Uh, kind of jacks of all trades. Like you both edit, you both, you know, do DP work. You both direct. You both act. I mean, you know that clearly. Oh uh, yeah, special, clearly. You know, amazing. <laughs> well, that's probably my best one. Oh, that's I don't the acting that. part. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of my my passion. <laughs> um, but uh, so so really, I mean, it sounds like you just kind of put yourself out there as as whatever. I mean, you. Uh, because the the music video that you're going to be working on, for example, hang on, there appears to be a crime wave going on outside. Um, the the uh, music video that you're going to be working on, uh, will you be directing that or just shooting it? That actually I'll be shooting. Okay. Um, I'll be working with a friend of mine that uh, is directing it. I've worked with before. Okay. Um, but yeah, it, it depends. Sometimes I just shoot things. Sometimes I'm kind of doing everything and then editing it myself. And okay. I prefer to stick more to you know shooting and directing and and I'm. Okay trying to avoid trying to do everything because i just get spread way too thin i, I think I, I think peter and i are both such uh control freaks we kind of <laughs> yeah, want to be yeah. have our hand in everything because we want to make sure it's it's done well yeah and yeah. especially you know projects that we would do in college peter was the guy that you wanted to do a project with because you knew that he would not let anything but superb quality come out of it like he would mm-hmm. stay up the rest of his life finishing it and making it perfect i'm a bit of a perfectionist yeah yeah (laughs) i've pulled way too many all-nighters yeah i remember you telling me about that uh you know socially you're like i'm sorry i was up all night last night just like man how much are you getting paid for this but not enough (laughs) um well i'll uh i'll throw out a question to, to both of you that i that i ask everybody when they're on the show um and uh you know the your answer might not be you know something incredibly compelling that's not uh, that's not on you but uh, as christians in hollywood um you know what is what what has it been like being in hollywood trying to you know freelancing coming into contact with people that probably don't believe the same things we believe um you know has uh, have you found any kind of hostility or, or anything like that um as far as just working on things uh I guess it doesn't really, it hasn't really played into a lot 
I mean, obviously you, you talk about it and you have conversations and there might be some jokes and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But, um, you know, the, the worst thing that happens is you hear them talking, you know, about what they think of Christianity and they'll be pretty honest a lot of times. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, but it, it's never like hindered, um, the work or getting to work with someone or because you went, you were a Christian or like okay. they always make a note <laughs> I've noticed of that you went to a Christian school and mm. I kind of like <clears throat> that I went to a Christian school just because right away they know where I'm at and right you know it's not like I, I like that they know I'm a Christian right away and I don't even have to kind of saves you some time yeah yeah, yeah. and <laughs> it, it right away like yeah you know you know what's what without having to be so in their face about it you know mm-hmm. um so th- that that's been good, but there's definitely been you know some. You can tell when when people uh, might look down on you for mm-hmm. being a Christian and thinking that you are, I don't know, close-minded or mm-hmm. you know stuff like that. But it hasn't had a huge impact. No, I mean on the I don't. I don't think it's made me like not get any. To my knowledge, uh, not yeah. get any jobs or you know stuff like that. Like, and okay. it hasn't. Yeah hasn't affected the work peter uh anything uh anything from you <laughs> yes um <laughs> uh, well i i mean yeah i'd say the same for me it hasn't really affected work work necessarily where I'm, i haven't gotten a certain job mm-hmm. um in fact it, it's actually helped because all of my work has come like through people that i know that are christians usually and, and you know and there's maybe a few things outside of that mm-hmm. but most of the time it's been like such a like the christian christian network and then the people they know and like the people, you know, it, it all works together to, you know, just to bring work and stuff like that. And then you end up obviously working, not just with Christians. Um, but, um, so, so I'd say for that, it's been, it's been, you know, a great thing being a Christian in Hollywood. Um, okay. cause you find that there's a lot of Christians here. It's not just this dead zone with no mm-hmm. Christians. Um, but I think it's, it's been tough though. And it's been hard for me, um, in, in one level because it's just so hard to bridge the gap sometimes of, talking about your faith mm-hmm. you know wh- when you just go and you work with someone and then you never talk about anything important and then you leave and then you know you're like do they know that i'm a christian and mm-hmm. and so I, I think there's sometimes a lot of fear that surrounds it uh, you know of like well what if we talk about this they're they're you know they're gonna think this of me and they're gonna attack this you don't want to get into like some heated debate you actually right. have like a genuine conversation with them so that's been something i've been kind of overcoming of like okay you know i really need to step up sharing my faith not just like acting like a christian and hopefully they'll find out or something like that because it's, it's just too easy just to like mm-hmm. just you know be a christian and never say anything and yeah. and um and so recently i've had some good discussions where like some guy w- was reading the bible on his kindle just for the fun of it mm-hmm. and like that w- i was able to talk to him about that mm-hmm. and uh another friend was you know i never had a chance to talk to him finally was able to like share with him i had like a, a great like 30 40 minute conversation with him in the car mm-hmm. Um, so it's been good. Like I've been really encouraged just to see that, you know, there's people here really, really seeking and really, mm-hmm. you know, seeking for, for God, whether they know it or not. And so I think, I think it's good that we, um, just be open in our faith. All right. Um, the, yeah, the, it's, it's good that you mentioned that because, uh, the, one of the things that I've, I've, I've said it before, um, and, uh, it would appear that some people are listening, which fascinates me. Um, one thing that I want to have always wanted to try and do with this show is encourage Christian artists. And this will, this will actually factor somewhat into the discussion we're about to have. Um, there is a certain, I mentioned hostility and I made it sound as if, Oh, is that, was there hostility from Hollywood 
towards you. And there can be, but there's also a great deal of hostility towards Hollywood from the Christian community. Mm. And so I feel like there's probably, you know, there, there's a lot of uh, Christians in, you know, not in Los Angeles who they they aspire to to do these things. They aspire to, to be filmmakers, but they don't want any part of Hollywood at all. Yeah. And they just, they avoid it like the plague because I'm sure they think, first off, they just don't like the product and they don't want any part of that, but also that, you know, it's a, it's a place that is very hostile towards Christians and Christian values. And, um, and so what I, I ask people this so that, you know, anyone listening who might be in a situation like that knows that, yeah, it's possible to be a Christian, make a living out here, and you don't have to betray your own faith or anything yeah. like that. Yeah, so I, I think it's the hardest thing for me that's, it's just a constant, um, debate in my head is trying to figure out how to make sure there's value in what I'm doing every day. And Mm -hmm. on, on certain jobs, it's like hard to find that. Like as a Christian, is this, am I working towards the gospel in any way right now? Am I building the kingdom up by editing this video from this reality show of some, you know, like you could work on so many different jobs where you just feel like, man, like, what was that day? Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. just spent all day cutting this video that does not matter at all. Yeah. And how is this? Um, and so there, there's been always those thoughts and it's just constantly, I guess, reminding yourself of the importance of relationships. I think that's, yeah. that's a huge thing. And, and to think about it's, it's just like any other job. I mean, if you were a carpenter mm-hmm. or, or, Maybe you shouldn't do carpenter because that's yeah. Jesus. Uh, you're a plumber. <laughs> plumber. You know, like you're not. If you do a good job plumbing, you're. I think you're being a good example of a Christian, like doing mm-hmm. doing your job well. Like I think God yeah. wants us to create and cultivate and to just be. I don't know, like hard good workers, like no. and and that that in itself is an example. But you also want like you want it to mean something you want to have um purpose in the type of films that you make and the things that you work on but sometimes you do have to just look at it as a means to to building relationships and and furthering the gospel in different ways that don't may not necessarily be reflective in the the product itself right you know All right. Well, uh, we are going to uh, take a break, uh, and then when we come back, we are going to uh, uh, dance around several topics. So, uh, yeah, stay tuned, and we'll be right back. back how's it going guys you have to do the and we're back aren't you just gonna cut it together no i put music in there oh okay yeah so. what kind of music yeah music that my friend uh 
Well, I, you know what? I can say it now. Um, I uh, a few years ago, I was planning on making a feature film. I had written a script and I was raising money for it. And um, a friend of mine, I gave him the script and I wanted him to do the music for it. And uh, so he cranked out like an hour of what I consider to be really, really good music. And um, like he even locked into like what the theme song would be of sorts. Wow. And uh, and I said, oh, yes, keep doing that. And so he would like weave that into other pieces of music. It was, it was really good. And uh, and the un- unfortunately, the film never happened. But I just have this amazing music. Uh, and so I uh, wanted to use it for this other endeavor of mine. And uh, so, yeah, all the music that you hear on the show is by my friend Chris Carner. And, uh, yeah, so it's good stuff. Um, I have a couple of albums on iTunes. So if you want some hip-hop uh, in between any time, you could it's good put stuff that too. on there. I feel like you're <laughs> joking on principle. I actually do have hip hop albums. I'm joking that you would want to put them on your podcast, but now that I assumed that was a joke. <laughs> but like, yes, uh, I, I made a couple of hip hop albums. Um, I don't do it anymore. I do other types not? of music. The hip hop thing just wasn't uh, just wasn't for me. It was really fun. That's why I did it. Just purely fun. Did you just do it under your own name or J J Ray? My middle J-Ray? my middle name is Ray. All right, I went with J Ray, and there's another J Ray on oh. iTunes so oh. his stuff's a little dirtier so watch out if you look up <laughs> J-Ray alright make sure you get the the good stuff well I'll tell you what the minute we are done recording <laughs> I'm gonna, going to gonna bust look it, it up immediately <laughs> okay. uh, have there been any uh, interesting iTunes comments on your uh, hip hop um, there's a couple of reviews from from friends oh there. okay <laughs> no are but I, I have I, I have sold you know random tracks uh, to people in the UK and Japan, like it tells you where you're selling stuff. It's it's crazy. Some guy in Australia bought a song. So, <laughs> wow! How do these people so find you? I, I have no idea. Maybe it's just your friends in circling the globe. <laughs> maybe, and they're like, you know what? I I miss I miss Jake. I'm gonna download <laughs> this song of his because I'm not gonna call him and pay long distance fees. Um, that's very interesting. <laughs> I didn't know that. You really are just a just a. A renaissance I, man. I, I am a renaissance man. You know, I get I get really passionate about something. I'll, I, so many things interest me, and I'll try them out for a little bit, and then mm-hmm. if it becomes work or hard or anything, I'll give up on it. Film is the only thing where, even though it's extremely hard, yeah. I, I stick to it. Yeah, you landed on the hardest one. Right. How does that happen? <laughs> I don't know. I don't All know. right. So we're well, back. hardest would be if I tried to be a professional basketball player, I think, but... Yeah, we're both tall, and we suck at basketball, don't we? Wait, no. I, I, I suck. I don't suck. You don't suck. I remember I that. go now. that far. Sorry, I, just, I suck I couldn't at make it as a pro. Okay. But you sucked? Yeah, I was terrible. I, I think I scored one point in, my, uh, <laughs> in seventh grade, and then six points. It's eighth grade. I, I went up six <laughs> times. Nice. My, uh, my parents forced me to be in basketball for two years in, like, I think, second and third grade, third or fourth. I don't quite recall and um i was very it was terrible of course how could i possibly be good and um i made one i made one basket and it was like yeah i, I didn't even care uh, it was just <laughs> like oh it was yeah. a, it was in the wrong hoop <laughs> no no that's <laughs> it, it was it was where it needed to be but uh probably the more distinguished thing uh, in my short-lived basketball career, is that I would yell "shut up" to the audience <laughs> when they when they cheered for something that wasn't 
like something that like if I had done something wrong that resulted in the other team benefiting. Of course, the the crowd, this parents, they're going to cheer for their own kid. Right. And I just viewed it as they were cheering against me, so I'd yell, shut up at them, and uh, my dad got really mad at me after a while. Anyway, so that's, that's the kind of sport I was. Now then, back to business. Um, I'm glad we got a, little, got a little warmed up there, because, uh, so as I mentioned before the break, before that wonderful song by uh, Chris Carner, there's, this is going to be an interesting discussion. Because we can't speak completely candidly. Um, I mean, I guess we probably could, but uh, for various reasons, some of them legal and some of them just uh, social. You know, you don't necessarily want to hurt people's feelings. Um, we, uh, we're going to be speaking uh, in code. Not the whole thing. Not, we're not going to speak, speak, be speaking like Pig Latin or anything like that. Just uh, we, we can't di- divulge everything. But... Uh, I'll, I'll start off by saying that, uh, Jake, I first got to know you because uh, I saw a documentary that you had directed. Uh, a friend uh, had a copy of it and showed it to me, thinking I would enjoy it, and sure enough, I did. And uh, and the documentary is called The Ice Shield of Aletheia, mm-hmm. and it is about the making of a fantasy film called The Ice Shield of Aletheia, and ultimately, the I would say, the unmaking of that film. And uh, and so I was really I was really fascinated by it. Um, and Peter, you were actually involved in the making of the fantasy film. Yes, I was. So what we're going to do, um, we're going to talk about it. Uh, aside from the title, we're not really going to throw out any names. Uh, so this might, listener, I apologize if this is frustrating for you. Um, this is not about spe- the specific people. It's about what we all learned overall. Um, so, uh, but yeah, that's the, that's the name. Let me just say, you know, the, the, the fact is I, I made the film, um, and you made not, the documentary, made the documentary and yeah. I'm not able to release it publicly. Right. Um, and so that's why we need to speak of it in this way. Yeah. Um, uh, you, I'm sorry, listeners, you yourselves can't get a hold of it. <laughs> um, uh, yet someday, maybe way off in the future things will the stars will align and uh and everything will be fine but uh, as of right now yes for for i would say legal reasons uh the the documentary that that jake made cannot be released shan't be seen it shall not be seen <laughs> so um <laughs> that was a fun i don't usually i don't usually appreciate uh, mispronunciation humor but i liked that one um but let's go back uh, let's go back to the beginning and uh, gentlemen, of course, remember no names. Um, Peter, how did you come to first be associated with the fantasy film, The Ice Shield of Aletheia? Well, I first uh, became aware of this film when I was a sophomore at Biola University. And I believe it was the end of the year. It was in May when I found out about it. And, and, to to, pre- to preface, um, I had just shot several short films, and I, I remember thinking, "Man, I gotta take a break. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I, I, you know, like I'm done. I'm just gonna take a break. I'm gonna take the summer off. You know, not gonna work on another project." Mm-hmm. So then, along comes this director, who tells me that he wants to make a fantasy film mm-hmm. this summer, um, a fantasy epic film. Now, um, the director is a fellow student, correct? Yes, yes. Okay. The director is a fellow student. Um, I, I 
can't remember if he was in my year or not. Um, but anyways, that, that doesn't matter. And uh, so he, he was telling me about this film, um, this epic film. There was going to have all these battle scenes and just lots of action and just um, amazing things that resembled Lord of the Rings or resembled Narnia, like those kinds of things that a mm-hmm. student was going to try to achieve. He was going to try and achieve this. Mm-hmm. And he was asking me to shoot it, to be the director of photography. Mm-hmm. So hearing that, I was like, wow, that, that sounds kind of cool. You know, like mm-hmm. this could be a really big deal. Then the other side of me was like, that sounds insane. There's no way that's going to happen. Um, to a certain extent, you, you you respect that level of ambition. Yes, but of course. Just, but at the same time, you're like, wait, <laughs> I respect that, but I, I don't know how this could possibly happen. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so I, I was I was interested, but I was skeptical. Um, and so I was kind of thinking about it. Then I met up with him again. And um, this next time, as far as I remembered, at least, this next time he told me that they have $50,000 now to shoot the film, from which I didn't know the, where the money was coming from. But um, I, I found out that there was actually going to be a budget. So before I was thinking, okay, crazy fantasy film, no budget, you know, student film budget. Like, what is that? Like $500, $1,000, you know, even, even like $5,000 is a lot for students. Mm-hmm. So when I heard $50,000, I was like, wow, like this is insane. Like this is going to be amazing. Cause no one's getting paid. Yeah. So it's like, what, that's all going to go towards this film. And so hearing that, like my, my interest was a lot more peaked. Um, and, um, and then along with that, he told us that, you know, we're going to shoot because we have this budget. We're going to shoot with the red camera. Okay. Um, now the red camera, for those of you guys who don't know, it's it's the at the time it was this new HD camera that hadn't come out yet. It was supposed to come out in the summer, um, and it, it's it was brand brand new technology, very cheap. The camera I think itself was like seventeen thousand hmm. um, dollars, and it could make uh, shooting high definition um, like video like video like a lot cheaper, and it looked a lot more like film and. Mm-hmm. Since it's come out, like tons of TV shows shoot with it, a lot of features shoot with it. The new Pirates movie is shooting with it, so it's like it was a big deal at the time of it coming out. Now the problem is it didn't come out till like at least a year later, so mm-hmm. we definitely didn't shoot on the red camera. Mm-hmm. But that's what that's what brought me into it. I was like, ooh, I really want to shoot with this camera, and like that sounds great. It sounded like a good opportunity, and it, at the very least, just a good chance to get experience and stuff for my reel and stuff like that. So I can't say that my desire to work on it was completely pure like mm-hmm. you know I, I like i see a little bit of greed in my own well like, i mean if you're actions. not getting you're not getting paid i yeah. mean so you get something out of it aside from just a credit you know yeah. it's the opportunity to to do something you haven't done before and that, oh, that could mean using this equipment yeah and so i definitely didn't want to turn that down and i was excited to to do that um and so the next thing was i i got a treatment from them uh, mm-hmm. from the, the director and the writer and that was the next issue of concern, um, which I actually took to Jake. I showed showed it to him at, outside of a Muse concert. <laughs> yeah. um, he he brought it to us. We were waiting in line for a long time, and uh, I I looked it over, and I said, "Peter, don't do this. <laughs> don't don't work on this." And it it wasn't that it was the worst thing I had ever read. It it was more of just the whole idea in general. I was like, "This is." not something that they should even try to to take on and Mm. it 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 wasn't it wasn't really bringing anything new to the genre in my opinion and i was just like i don't i don't think this is (laughs) worth worth your time and and especially uh peter's skill i mean he 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 was always being sought after to work on all kinds of projects at biola Mm -hmm. and 
he could have been very picky and he he has a, a problem with saying no to things I, I in general. He's a, very nice, he's a very nice guy. You're a people pleaser. I, <laughs> yep. So, um, yeah, so talking to Jake, you know, like uh, I try to listen to him, but I, it was a big part of me that way. <laughs> you know, and I'm kind of glad because we wouldn't be oh, here. Oh, yeah, we wouldn't be having this <laughs> conversation. We wouldn't be on more than one lesson. Exactly, exactly. So um, so I kept I kept working on it. We worked on it for like a couple months over the summer. And I was interning at Panavision full time. So like literally my working on it was like a few emails and calling like rental houses and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, and uh, yeah, as I kept working on it, like and, and just trying to figure things out, like the more and more concerned I became – um, oh, and I forgot to mention, too, that the reason why I let the things go with the treatment is I, I kind of figured, well, it's still in the writing stages. I don't think they'd even give me the script yet. They mm-hmm. were still finishing up the script. Of course, this is like two months before shooting. Um, and so I finally had received the script. So I think I was you know expecting things are going to change. They're going to listen to advice. They're going to shorten it, all that stuff. So I think when I finally got the script, it was like about 70 pages. Okay. And they wanted to shoot this film in two weeks, a fantasy epic film by students. Um. And so, seeing that, I was a little disturbed. And I remember talking, you know, to other crew members and them just thinking, like, okay, this either has to get cut down or it's just not going to happen. So, I remember, you know, just expressly trying to say this needs to get cut down. Otherwise, like, I don't know how this is even going to be possible. Um, and so, I was always assured that, you know, this is this is going to happen. We're going to cut it down. We're going to make it work. You know, like, no matter what, I was told that, like, this was going to happen for sure, no, one way or another. Um, and so, that's kind of, like, what, what I what I saw from it, that there was just a lot of ambition. Um, and I think what, what, what helped with that ambition is that, that I was being told that tons of people in Michigan wanted to work on films. Tons of people in Michigan loved fantasy films Mm -hmm. and that they were all going to be a part of making this film happen. Yeah. So though we were only going to fly some crew out from California, there was going to be an entire city there Mm -hmm. ready at our disposal to work with us, to build sets for us, to be our extras. Like, uh, the director wanted a thousand extras, not just wanted, like predicted that, that he was going to get a thousand extra extras for the ba- main battle scene. Um, and so, so essentially like if there was any, any problem, the, the town and the, and the, you know, the state of Michigan was, was going to like kind of be there to mm-hmm. like help things out. Um, so that was, you know, something I, I just kind of thought was crazy, but I just like, was like, okay, you, you got this worked out, you know, that'd be great. Um, and I tried to tell him, you know, as much as possible, like this, you know, this is going to be really tough to express to him, like the concern I have for this project. Um, and then the other thing too was, was this, the scheduling, you know, to shoot a 70 page film in two weeks when your students that haven't even shot anything close to a feature film like this before, that's very daunting. And so the solutions that, um, that he came to, and I, you know, I'll say I came to too, just because I, I myself was, was naive and I, I didn't know, you know, what, what would necessarily happen, what would be the best and the fastest. Um, so we, we decided upon two cameras shooting two cameras Mm -hmm. so you can get multiple coverage and of the action scenes and all that stuff. And then we decided upon two units, uh, which that wasn't necessarily my decision, but, um, there was going to be two crews, one crew working in the day and the one crew working at night using the same camera equipment. So that mm-hmm. way we'd have this 24 hour shooting schedule. Um, um let me, go I'm ahead. sorry, let me interrupt you real quick. Yeah. Uh, do you, do you know how they arrived at two weeks? I mean, th- I mean, there was, was it just a, a, a budgeting issue and they realized that they only had enough budget for two weeks or whatever is, I mean, could they have stretched it out to a month? You know, I mean, that's a great question because I think that would have solved a lot of problems if we mm-hmm. had decided on a month or six weeks or even more, you know, more than that. And yeah. decided to put the bulk of the money towards 
just shooting there for a long long period of time mm-hmm. but I, th- I think a lot of it just had to do with you know we we're bringing students out there most students w- didn't want to stay there longer than two weeks no um i don't know all the other reasons i think that was just the window that they decided that they had the two weeks before like school started and before all this stuff so mm-hmm. i don't know all the exact reasons why but okay there was some reason for it all right i was just curious i'm uh, continue oh no that's a great question um so essentially yeah we were going to do two units and we we're going to have a second unit dp um, now the odd thing that, that that I ended up finding later was that the um, the main unit, which you know the main unit unit usually shoots the dialogue scenes with the main actors, and the second unit shoots all the uh, action stuff and the the big establishing shots and, and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, th- it was flipped in our case. Um, the main unit, myself and, and the director and I, we were going to shoot all the action scenes, and the second unit was going to shoot all the na- the the. Um, dialogue scenes mm-hmm. with the main actors and stuff like that. So it was a very odd, a very odd arrangement um, that we were going into with it. Um, so that's basically that. Basically, leads me up to when we flew out. Now, mm-hmm. w- w- essentially, I brought in a bunch of my friends from film school. I-, I had them come as camera crew and lighting and stuff like that. So we had about I'd say twenty, twenty or so students fly out from from LA area, area to Michigan. Mm-hmm. And I think what, this happened end of July or something like that. Do you, do you remember, Jacob? Yeah, yeah, it was July '07. Okay. And so, and and now, just uh, for listeners' uh, clarification, um, now, Jake, you were not a part of this. No, you d- you had a lot of friends that were involved, um, and because of the documentary, when Peter refers to you, it's not because you were there, but because you're very, you're just intimately. Uh, familiar with the details of all of this right okay right so just making sure okay go ahead uh i remember one other thing that that i actually said in the documentary um that is not released um (laughs) (laughs) i i said that um i I felt like i needed to be the voice of reason in all Mm -hmm. of this um there was just a lot of idealism that this project was going to work out no matter what that god's hand is behind the project and nothing could you know nothing could happen we could do anything we wanted to with this project and we didn't have to like worry we didn't have to like plan as much and and to their credit i'm not saying that they you know they were just tossing it to the wind and whatever like they were doing their absolute best mm. it's just we needed more people we needed you know r- really uh talented pre-production on this thing mm-hmm. and so i for me i was trying to be the the voice of reason in this whole thing of being like guys like this is going to be really tough we need to like be thinking about all these things because no one was doing it um, and as a director of photography, I really want to be focusing on the lighting. I want to focus on the photography aspects, not on like, are we going to get this camera? Are we going to get this dolly in time? Are we, you know, are we going to be able to shoot all this stuff in time? It's just, it's stuff that creative, um, the, the members of the crew shouldn't be worrying about all the mm-hmm. aspects of production. And so I think that was another thing that really, um, just hindered things going into production. Even if everything had worked out flawlessly, I don't think on a creative end, at least on my side, it would have turned out the greatest because I was so focused on all the problems that we had to figure out. I, I think we should, before we get like really detailed into what happened, we should kind of just give an overview since people can't see the movie. Yeah. What right. what happens here? Well, um, ba- basically, the production is a disaster. It ends up lasting, I think, twelve days, something like that. Something like that. Uh, yeah. Twelve in, days. Wow. In that time. N- I think a couple of minutes end up actually getting filmed. No, like full scenes. Um, the, everything that just so many things go wrong. And it, it, some of it, a little bit of acts of God, a lot of it just not uh, with ha- not having a producer and no planning and mm-hmm. all these things that could have been accounted for 
but in in any film shoot you are just aware that things are going to go wrong no matter what even right. with the most plain things are going to go wrong mm-hmm. and things went went very wrong in this shoot <laughs> mm-hmm. and um and so there there were um other things too like the director getting kidney stones yeah. <laughs> near the end that just added to all the problems that were already happening and that led to eventually $50,000 basically down the drain the director wasn't able to go back to school because of the no. debt uh no one has seen any of the footage that was shot nothing the film was never finished and uh a friend of mine who was hired to do behind the scenes for the film mm-hmm was shooting throughout this whole process. And when he uh, came back, made a, a, a little short uh, out of some of that footage. And when I saw that, um, I was just blown away by it. Like the, mm-hmm. the stuff that he had captured on tape was just amazing. The, the, the arguments and the conversations. And it, it, it kind of came out to be uh, Peter, the camera team versus the director and um, uh, various people you know in between and mm-hmm. just the the back and forth that was going on and so when I, I saw that footage and i i asked him if there was more if there's more of this could we make a feature out of this because this is riveting stuff and mm-hmm. so he had shot about 14 hours of tape which is not what you would want to make a feature out of but i i attempted to and uh i just tried to get everything that i could take out of that 14 hours and ended up making um i think it's about a 90 minute yeah yeah. something about about 80 or 90 minutes and having seen the documentary and i'm I'm sorry i didn't want to play up the documentary itself so much because of course people can't see it um but uh having seen it i cannot imagine 14 sifting through 14 hours of this thing uh because and here's the thing i i apologize if we sound insulting to the director or the writer or anybody else that was associated with this thing uh I don't. I don't want to turn it into like this. Hey, let's all make fun of this person. Um, but there was there were some. A lot of the conflicts that came about in the midst of this film, in the midst of the the making of the fantasy film, are things that, quite frankly, are essentially Christian conflicts. Because you mentioned the two camps. There's the director, and you know his his friends on one side. Mm-hmm. There's Peter and the camera crew on the other, and. The director's father is involved, uh, and he was a local pastor. Mm-hmm. And because the vast majority of the crew was Christian, I would say, right? I'm, yes. The bulk of them? Uh, I'd say 85%. Okay. Yeah. Um, and because the film, the script itself had Christian overtones, um, then all of a sudden, things started to take... Uh, everything started to take on a much loftier quality than any old film, you know, and that became the central conflict uh, is, you know, and is practicality versus pure faith, you know, and, and as a Christian, that is pretty much the struggle you come up with daily. Um, How much do you trust God with? How much do you do yourself? Stuff like that. And so that's that's kind of what came out of it, and it certainly is is clear in the documentary. And one thing that I that I have said uh, many times in in reference to the documentary is that I I, I cannot imagine because I know somebody because I look on the screen and I see my buddy Peter there. 
it's just like, I cannot imagine what it must have been like to be in the middle of this thing. And so, um, so I'll go back to, I'll go back to you, Peter, to talk about, uh, and you can go back a little bit if you want and start talking about first day of shooting and all that. And frankly, it might sound like we're going at a snail's pace to talk about the first day, the second day. This wasn't a long shoot and Peter's involvement even shorter. So it, it's, it's perfectly fine if we want to break it down in those kind, those kinds of increments. But, uh, but that is one of the things that I want to get to eventually is being in the midst of that debate of practicality versus, you know, pure, I would say blind faith, but that sounds incredibly negative, And sometimes that's what you need, uh, is a blind faith. But, uh, so that's, that's what I want to, that's the discussion I want to get to in a few minutes, but, uh, let's, let's keep going with, uh, the, the, the narrative of this whole journey. Um, Peter, uh, so you, you and the crew, you get there, you've, you got the, the, Theoretically, you've got the logistics worked out. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> well, Hardly. you understand the th- in theory. Oh, in you theory, understand how it's supposed, supposed to, to how it's supposed to work. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm um. sorry, I overstated. <laughs> um, so, uh, so let's go. Let's uh, unless unless you've got something something else to say before we get to day one. I do, if I may. I'll just go briefly, right ahead. Briefly recap. I think. I just want to recap because there was a whole week actually that we were there before day one. Oh, okay. Um, and so there's just a few few things that happened that really related to why day one was such a disaster. Okay. <laughs> um, well, I guess the first thing really is uh, it, not all the crew got there a week before, but a, a bunch of us did. And when we first got there, um, there was no place for us to stay. Um, there wasn't. We, I, I remember touching down and then finding out that the, we don't. They don't have a place for us to stay yet. So we were going to stay where the director was staying in this, you know, small little house. Mm-hmm. Um, so we all stayed on the floor in this like kind of cramped room. And again, I, you know, I'm just glad that we had a place to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was the first sign of, uh, you know, something. I mean, there was many signs, I, I should say. But the first sign of being out there that there are some problems. Um, and so we didn't have a place to stay the first night. And then the second night, they were able to find a house that no one was using. Uh, this like 70s house. Uh, like it seemed like a hunter used to live there. It was really kind of creepy. Um, we were wondering it was an if it abandoned was, house. It, it felt like yeah, we were kind of wondering if it was haunted or something like oh, that. Oh, okay. Um, it was deep in the cornfields of Michigan. Um, <laughs> so, right. That's a, that's, a, that's a phrase that I'm sure sounded much more ominous to you than it did to me just now. <laughs> Sounds like a country song to me. <laughs> um, so, we, uh, so we got there and, uh, on t- we stayed, I stayed the entire time on the floor. Um, my assistant camera, who's a good friend of mine, um, didn't have a blanket for the first three days and he was using his weather blanket, which is for his camera equipment, um, as his blanket. I had remembered to bring a sleeping bag. Um, so, you know, pe- people were sleeping on recliners and couches and I mean, we had like 20 or so guys in this house and then one girl which was odd and awkward because it's like where does she stay <laughs> um and so so that, that just really added to it because it's hard to get a good night's sleep when you're sleeping with a whole bunch of guys on the floor and you yeah. don't have a blanket um what you're saying is you were like the guys in chile who are trapped underground yeah very much so. it was a war zone that's what it felt like it was a war zone in michigan i appreciate that that time stamp there buddy <laughs> yeah um and uh and then i the other aspect uh, i think is important to understand is that you know, we were going with the expectation that there was going to be all, all these people that were there helping us and that all these sets were going to have been built already. So we get there and nothing's been built yet. Um, 
and the, all the crew needs to go build Thuvin's camp, which is like one of the first, like the main camp that the characters are going to be in. So they're going and building this. Uh, me and some of the people are working on finalizing all equipment and stuff like that. Um, and then up to like the, the day before we were going to shoot, um, we still hadn't built any of the interior sets. We didn't even have locations for the sets to build the sets in. Um, and we were supposed to be shooting in interiors within a, about a week to nine, nine days or something like that. And so, um, and we were supposed to shoot, I was sorry. We were supposed to build those sets while we were shooting somehow. And this is, I mean, we had like a huge throne room set, the, the size of a gymnasium that we were supposed to build in a dungeon scene, all, all these different things. I mean, just hearing that alone, you're like, wow, like this is insane. Like, what are we going to do? So I think we all just kind of try to ignore that. Like, we'll come to it when we get to it. <laughs> you, should, you should mention some of the cool things that he was able to, to get that, um, like the guy with the fire whip. Yeah. Well, was you, really do you cool. want to describe that? Uh, yeah. So there's the fire whip guy who I thought was a get. <laughs> what, explain what the, what is that? What's a fire whip? Uh, well, it's a whip that's on, on fire, fire yeah. and uh, he whips it, and then the fire crack cracks, you know, with the whip of the, the cracking and the whipping. <laughs> and he was able to get some llamas. We'll that out. That's fine. <laughs> he was able to get some llamas too, which is a pretty yeah, pretty, some llamas, pretty uh, interesting thing. They had a a guy who he was the stunt coordinator for Hook or worked on Hook. I think so. Yeah, and he was doing doing stunts and a, a weapons guy with legit weapons teaching them how to do sword fights and stuff like that which that was some yeah there was a, definitely a makeup some pretty guy, cool things. a makeup guy that was legit yeah yeah i mean there was even a i think in building thuban's camp um there was a bulldozer that they used to move large boulders in because it was going to be a set a part of the set piece mm-hmm. i was like amazed i'm like wow we have bold like we have boulders in the camp like this is you know it's legit I mean, I guess that doesn't sound quite legit, but you know, the idea of seeing a bulldozer moving that, I'm like, wow, it felt like a real set or something like that. No. So, um, so, okay. So let's, let's dive right in. Yes. Day one comes along the crew at this point already exhausted. It would appear. Well, and, uh, actually me and the second unit, um, DP director of photography had only gotten an hour of sleep that night because we so happened to rent all of our equipment in Chicago. Mm-hmm. which was six hours away. So we had to drive there. It was a 13-hour day. And we got back probably four in the morning, slept an hour, and then went to work that day. Oh, my. Um, so day one, it started out a bit of a disaster um, it, because we uh, it took, I think, probably two hours just to get over to the location when it was only about five minutes away, just organizing the crew and the truck and everything like that. People got lost. <laughs> um, so we got there late. And then, you know, everyone was getting used to their positions and setting stuff up. And, and uh, so we, we ended up only shooting about half a scene, I think, and, and like two shots with just a few takes in that day. And, um, yeah, so it was, a, it was a rough day. We really didn't get a lot shot. And everyone was, had pretty low morale at the end of the day. Yeah. And, and, and I think like that day, it's like there was a lot of different factors. I don't think it was just pre-production. Like I think, you know, I could have done a lot better job just making things move faster. I think we, I was so exhausted that like there was no way to really make things move faster. And all the camera crew was too. Well, and also, I mean, it's day one. I mean, it's the day that like, I mean, we've all, we've, we've all made films, you know, the, the three, the three of us here, we've all made films. The first day of shooting is always when, reality hits <laughs> and you realize okay now we know where the strength and weaknesses are in the crew in our preparation all this other kind of thing and so it's uh yeah i mean there it's it's almost to be expected to a certain extent like i don't i wouldn't even go so far as to say it was anybody's fault yeah 
Well, I, I think um, it's really easy to underestimate the power of the first AD, the first assistant director, mm-hmm. or the, the importance of it, I should say. Um, and, and we had one, but we had, it, was, it was a friend of the family who uh, I don't, I don't want to guess, but I, I think thought that assistant directing was like getting the director water and, and you know, mm-hmm. getting them snacks and stuff like that and making sure that they're okay. Um, it, when the director, uh, the assistant director is really responsible for scheduling the film, making oh, sure yeah. it all gets shot in time. And we didn't have that. And I think beyond a producer, I think that was like the most important thing that we were lacking. And one reason why no one was pushing us that day to move forward. It, it was telling when uh, you guys are going around the room <laughs> saying your name and uh, what your position is. And sh- and she said her name. And she's like, and uh, I'm the... Uh, I- AD? I think I'm the AD, right? <laughs> she, didn't, she didn't know until the day of shooting that she was the AD. So, um, and I think another, uh, the last thing, at least for me, on, on the first day is that we didn't have water. Which seems, I mean, well, we had a little bit of water, but when I went to go drink water, that was all gone. And we were in the middle of a cornfields in, in the summer in Michigan. Mm-hmm. It was super hot. And I remember, like, by the end of it, I was so dehydrated. I was, like, uh, felt like I was going to faint. And yeah. I remember telling the director that I didn't have water. He was complaining to me that we didn't get my shot. And I'm like, well, I didn't have water mm-hmm. <laughs> and he didn't care. And, and, and no offense, no offense to the director. I, you know, I've completely forgiven him for it. Um, but I, w- w- what really affected me is that like the, the crew, not just myself, other crew, like wasn't being treated in a way where, where we were being taken care of. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we didn't have beds and we didn't have wa- adequate water on set. We didn't have any snacks on set. So it was, it was just really difficult conditions to work under. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now I do want to I do want to mention that uh, and this this will probably come up in more detail later. But uh, it sounded like the director was very committed to to having a set that was kind of fun, yes. um, at least not not all business at, at the very least that he thought it was cool that uh, that you were all making a film. And it is cool. It's cool making a film. Um, but that. You know, he was he was so focused on like, hey, look, it's, it's only important. We just we need to have fun. If we're not having fun, you know, then why are we even here? Which, incidentally, like I remember when I worked at Blockbuster, there was like a list of rules for the employees in the back, and uh, like the there were five of them, and and one and the last one, number five, was have fun. I'm like, I bet that rule's not enforced very much. That one can't possibly because I break that rule every single day. Well, and also he he was. And I, this, I kind of relate to him on this. Like, there is, and a lot of p- kids in film school, it's like you don't want to do things the way Hollywood does them. You, you right. have your new way of doing it. Like, you, you know, you figured it out. You know, like, and, <laughs> yeah. and I was like that too. Like, we don't have to do it that way. There are more efficient ways. And I think he was really big on, on, uh, on doing it his way, in a, mm. in a way that he felt would be more uh, efficient. And and it did, and to a certain extent, I understand where he's coming from uh, because you see him in the documentary talk about um, some of the uh, ideally what he would like it to be, which is the cr- like the crew is just this large group of people with and with various skills, but that it's not segmented like props, set, mm-hmm. lighting, sound, camera, all these other things. Like it's not segmented like that. You do what you you do what it needs to be done, no matter what the case may be, and I understand that to a certain extent. I mean, I've uh, before I did film, I did theater, and 
that is in many ways that is kind of the attitude in film in 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 theater uh certainly in uh you know high school and college mm-hmm. um but uh and it, and it it sounds good uh when it comes to film but you come to realize that the reason that Hollywood does it like that is because it works and it granted there's all kinds of like union things that yeah, and might the, and there's overspending and yeah, there are yeah. things that they don't have to do and yeah. like i think you get caught up in all that but right. there are things that are like this is how it should be this is yeah. how it works i mean the reason like when it comes to functions of of a specific crew member like an ad the dp all these other you know that is a crucial function and if that person is not focused on that and only that and if they it's like oh well i was scheduling the entire shoot but now I got to go and help build something, you know, mm-hmm. then you get you get a lot of people who are just spread. stretched, spread yeah. really thin. Yeah. And uh, but it's but yeah, it is it is a mindset that there's a great deal of appeal to it. And, you know, there <laughs> and some people pull it off. Some, like, uh, yeah, yeah. definitely. Rodriguez. Oh, yeah. I yeah. mean, I think I think he he would say he kind of looked up to Rod Rodriguez or even like George Lucas. I think he kind of yeah. saw himself as a a new George Lucas perhaps yeah but uh, <laughs> okay let's not all start making fun like that's I don't want it to be that no but I, but I'm saying but like I understand what you're saying yeah I, I have that same thing where mm-hmm. I I wanted to do things my own and, and in a new way and, and whatever and I think that yeah you just you just realize that some things do need to be done a certain way yeah I mean it's honestly like Hollywood is often a is something of a machine and it functions as a machine when something works, you know, and mm-hmm. if it didn't work, then they wouldn't do it like that. You know, right. um, as, as much as Hollywood gets wrong one, one way or another, when it comes to keeping things moving for the most part, getting that, keeping that machine well oiled, um, with the blood of artists, <laughs> that last <laughs> part was me. Um, but, uh, when it, you know, Hollywood does it really well, yeah. but, uh, okay. So day two, Day Where two. are we? Um, well, and, and just to, to close on on day one, um, the the crew was heavily, uh, sorry, the camera crew in specific was heavily blamed for day one's mm. success or lack of success, I should say. Um, it was because the camera crew wasn't moving fast enough, which is w- what the, what the blame was. And so it was a it was a big hit to our morale. I remember that yeah. day we had a lot of meetings and stuff, and and by then the, the, we you know the camera crew already wanted to go back. Yeah, <laughs> and I remember being told that they 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 were only staying because that you know they were there to stick with it for me. Yeah, like the, you know they were they're ready to leave. Um, things were going that bad. Um, so we move into day two. And by that point, I gotten four hours of sleep. That's how mm-hmm. I remember the days by how many hours of sleep. Oh, I'd okay, gotten. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, so we we woke up and it was raining. So that was a nice little thing that added into it. So we yeah. were going to shoot some exterior. Um, so th- instead, we went to a house. Um, and we had a, like I think a half page scene to shoot in a house. Um, so we started doing that and actually things went a lot better. We were moving, moving, uh, smoothly and it was the first like productive day. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we'd had the entire time we'd been out there. Um, and so everyone was pretty happy. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it was just overall a good day and we got everything that we needed shot and it looked good and the director was happy and I was happy. Um, so we get to the end of the day, we're all feeling really good. Um, and then they make an announcement to us that some significant changes have been made to the script. And so we're like, what are those? And they said, well, we just cut the scenes that you guys shot today. Um, and so here this whole time we've been asking, even while we were there, can you guys shorten 
the script because mm-hmm. it's too long. 70 pages is a little too long. So finally, they cut out 12 pages of the script, including the scenes that we just shot that day. Mm-hmm. The only scenes that we had finally finished shooting. So uh, when we find that out, like we were just so dismayed. Like we were like, why did you tell us? You didn't have to tell us. <laughs> I, I mean, we were just, I mean, oh man, I, I can't even express how how like just disappointing it was for us to hear it sounds weird like when you think about it but knowing that like what you had just done was not going to be useful at all except for like publicity um you know it was it was at at that point i think we just all wanted to throw in the towel yeah um and uh yeah so that that was just pretty pretty upsetting do you have anything on that jake no that's just uh, that is one of my favorite parts of the documentary that that night when they tell you that and it's just man i I just think it's so ironic that you finally get going and then yeah. they just cut it all out. And it, you know, and it, and it's one of those things where in watching it, I can, I, I see both sides where, well, we're shortening this and you don't want to, you know, you don't want to be seen as deceiving your crew. Yeah, that's true. And so you want to say like, Hey, look, full disclosure, we're taking out the stuff we just did. So like, I understand wanting to say, you know, not wanting to keep secrets from the crew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, when it is your first, and it's only day two, but when it's like any, a really productive day and people are kind of hanging their hat on that day <laughs> yeah. and then you just snatch it away from them. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, you know, but I will say that just in general, a decision like that can't, I, I, I'm almost willing to put that down as like a rookie mistake. Yeah. As just, it's the kind of thing where, again, you find that, you find that conflict of, I don't want to keep secrets from the crew. That's wrong. It's morally wrong. But at the same time, if you omit that fact, it's not even necessarily a lie, but if you just hold off on letting them know that that's a decision you made until later, then they can they can ride that morale wave into day 3. Mm-hmm. And so it's you know, it's it's this weird practicality versus uh, morality thing again. Well, I, I think it is understood among people who work on films. You know that you're going to put blood and sweat into stuff that's going to end up on the cutting room floor oh, all the time. Yeah. Uh, but it just it hurts when it's you know. Yeah, just, yeah. You want to find out after you yeah, yeah, moved yeah, on from it when you <laughs> just did it and you know right then ah we're not going to use this. I mean, oh. if someone told you that, like I don't know, I, I would be dismayed myself. I mean, I, I know a guy who is a, he's a stand-up comedian, and he was going to be in the film The Informant. A lot of stand-up comedians were in that film, and he had gotten cast as just one of these, you know, just a one-scene character. And, uh, and he got the call, like, on, like, the morning that he was about, I think it was the morning or the evening before, but he was about to head over to the studio for his, his scene, and then they said, hey, uh... You don't need to come in. We we cut that scene, oh, and he had been cut out of. <laughs> he had been um, in Dreamgirls, and he got cut out of that as well. So like Yikes. these two fairly big films yeah. that people you know saw. Well, people didn't see the informant that much, but you know certain audiences did, and so like to get cut out of two things, just like ah, oh. I mean yeah. it really you know, and if you have the opportunity to not cause someone to be so dejected like maybe you maybe you take advantage of that but but i do see i very much see where he's where he's coming mm-hmm. from on the decision to tell everybody yep. and, and so. i imagine too that it sounded good in the beginning and then yeah. like once you see how it pans yeah. out in <laughs> hindsight it looks bad <laughs> they're probably yeah. so excited to like tell you guys You're like yeah we cut 12 pages of the script yeah <laughs> so also it is that idea of i mean honestly it's like uh po- political po- politics aside 
you know, the, like, like when Barack Obama became president, his whole thing was like, you know what? It's going to be pretty transparent. We're going to let you know when we've made mistakes. And then they let us know when they made mistakes. And it's like, ah, hang on. <laughs> what? <laughs> this is a Marx Brothers movie? Like, and I realized probably every president makes this number of mistakes. Uh-huh. But she's like, look, just inject a little confidence in us here, all <laughs> yeah. right? Like, just, like, help us out, you know? So it's it's one of those things, like, just, yeah, I'm ignorance is bliss. That's a, that's a phrase for a reason. You don't, you don't want to see a president on the toilet. No, you don't. Thankfully, he hasn't gotten there yet. <laughs> well, Reagan uh, that's the first thing you jumped to. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I'm sorry. So uh, oh. I derailed this a little bit. Go ahead there, Peter. Uh, where, are we, where are we headed? It's all good. Um, so... Day two is over, yeah. and um, we had several camera meetings that night, so I stayed up pretty late. And then also, um, we rented a camera remote head, which we're going to use on a jib arm. Mm-hmm. Basically, it allows you to operate the camera remotely from a ways away, and it's a big, heavy thing. It's probably like 60, 80 pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, we had shipped it from Panavision. It cost us $3,000 to rent this thing. Um, I got it for like a third of the price, though, because I'd entered in Panavision. Yeah. Anyways, this was... In my mind, the one hope that we had, th- this piece of equipment, because it would be so cool on set <laughs> to have the big camera on a jib arm, like doing this awesome camera move from a far away as I operate it. Like I just knew, I'm like, this will ma- this will motivate people to <laughs> want to keep working on this thing. Which, by the way, the camera, same camera that George Lucas used yes. on Star Wars. Yes, we ended up yeah. using the F900. They use it on Star Wars and Collateral, and it shoots. It still shoots today. They use that camera. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so anyways, and we had rented it and we hadn't used it yet. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I got to get this thing ready. <laughs> Otherwise, it's a waste of money. And so I spent like at least two hours getting it ready and, and finally got it up and running and uh, went to bed and got an hour of sleep. So I was exhausted again on the third day, like just running so low in sleep. Um, and, and this third day was again shooting in the forest. Um, or I'm sorry. This is the first time shooting in the forest. Um, it, w- it was a very wet and muddy day. Yeah. Um, and uh, so the first shot was setting up for this remote jib arm shot on a dolly, which was a very bad idea uh, just because we didn't have a key grip and it was muddy and all that stuff. So anyways, it took seven hours to set up for the first shot. Uh, it took an insane amount of time. I think it was afternoon that we actually started shooting it. Um, and a generator had gotten stuck in the ditch. Uh, not the generator, but the truck had gotten stuck in the ditch. So they had to call a tow truck and get that pulled out. And then we were waiting on, so we were waiting on electricity. Um, and then also we had to just kill a dolly because it, it was too muddy. And so mm-hmm. it's like a, a lot of things that we could have worked out just weren't working for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on top of all that, we started having some, well, the crew morale was really low at that point, And we just started having some dissension in the ranks. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, essentially <laughs> on my end, what happened is I had talked to, to the director um, about all the colors scheme and uh, what what the what the costumes were going to be like and, and what it would look like and all this stuff and uh, you know it, it's a fantasy film I knew it was going to be this, some color and stuff like that you know but I we were talking about trying to keep it muted you know in the same way that Lord of the Rings is 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 muted you don't want to have tones for the most earth, part the yeah. earth tones yeah and so I was told there's going to be a lot of browns and uh, stuff like that for the costumes and not anything um, that would just be really uh, just painful to watch and especially mm. shooting HD you want to watch you know what you put in front of the cameras yeah. Um, so this is the first day that I saw our main character in his fantasy costume. Um, I, I don't mean to be blunt, but he looked like he was a Joker wearing a Joker costume that was like bright. a jester. A, uh, sorry, a jester. That's a better way of putting it. Yeah. Just a Joker. Where did I get that from? Um, he had the scars on the side of his face and a white, you know, 
Yes. Yes, Jester. Okay. Jester, uh, multi-layered blue color. Like everything was blue on his um, his clothing, and uh, you know we're in the middle of this really green forest, and then. I also didn't know that he had red hair until we started shooting. So here you have this like red, blue, green, like just every single color in the rainbow was like kind of mm-hmm. kind of evident in this, you know, anytime we filmed our main actor. And he was supposed to be wearing that the entire shoot, like the entire time he's in the fantasy world. Very vibrant red. Very vibrant. Well. Very vibrant yeah. red. And so I, I was a little bit upset. And granted, I'd only gotten an hour of sleep. Um, so there was there was kind of a lot of just talking back and forth between crew and uh, the director and the writer and how they were disagreeing with us and, and how they thought we were being elitist and then how we thought that they weren't, you know, they weren't taking care of us. They weren't respecting us. There's a lot of things going on. That OK, so I want to stop you right there. Yeah. Yeah. With the word elitist. Yes. So. Because this is going to come up later. Um what what why did they say that why did they what was first off everybody has a different definition of elitist it's like the word pretentious in that way yeah um but uh what what was it about your attitude that you know made them label you as elitist hmm. i mean that's a great question and jacob might ask you to to add, come in as a third party on this. <laughs> i have no idea but <laughs> I, I think just the fact that we were you know just like if you're trying to express that there's a problem and like this is the problem we need to work this out it can come across as elitist because, well, you know better. Oh, I see. Mm. You know, it, it, and I think, like, in a lot of ways, we, we were trying to, trying to like, tell them. Because we have experience, too. Like, I, I directed before. Other friends had directed. Like, we had all done this thing. It's not like we had no idea what was going on. Mm-hmm. And you were trying to help out. But I think I think when you add in, like, maybe some, some neg- negative negativism from myself sometimes and from the crew and you know since we were all we were starting to have kind of bad attitudes at this point mm-hmm. um just because we were not well like it was so humid that day um there weren't any bathrooms that day either we had like, <sighs> the crew and the extras and there were no bathrooms um like porta potties or anything like that yeah and so I, I think all that stuff can kind of blend together to um you know seem like elitism and whether we were or not like i sure hope we weren't you know mm-hmm. and i definitely didn't think we were mm-hmm. um you know because we were trying to be as respectful as possible but i think after that point like as christians it's like our flesh is just becoming more evident because we were like we're done with this thing like you've pushed us too far and that's what happens when people push you eventually like you know an elitist side or an angry side or something like that comes out and mm-hmm. and it's not even in the documentary fully but we were getting pretty upset i mean we were ready to start yelling because like we were feeling that upset Mm -hmm. well i mean (laughs) it comes back to him feeling like um you guys were responsible for what what was being held up and it's also like you you guys weren't believing anymore (laughs) yeah in in that this could happen like the you were the ones thinking okay like you already were skeptical to begin with and now you really were like this is not like I was right. This is not going to happen like this. And he wants to maintain faith in the project. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we will uh, be really delving into that uh, on day four, I believe. But uh, I don't think we're there yet. Um, was there anything else on uh, day three that you wanted to uh, that you wanted to mention? Um, I think the only the only uh, other thing, or possibly two things, is that. Um, well, I, I guess. One way to put it, and this can go into day four. Okay, I was trying um, to give you a perfect segue there. Tyler. I know. I mean, no, you <laughs> know I what? To... I'll just wait. I'll just I'll bring this into day four. I okay. S- uh, yeah. Anyways, um, the one thing I did, did want to say though is, after that day, we did finish shooting a scene, um, and uh, it wasn't very good. Like the sun was literally going down as we were shooting it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, this is when we were rolling out. We had to sh- 
we had to start shooting nights now. Mm-hmm. Um, so the plan, because we didn't have a second unit, a second crew, that we were going to keep shooting. The crew was going to keep shooting all night as well. So I had slept one hour, <laughs> and they wanted me to keep shooting all night um, with crew that had been shooting all day. Um, and and uh, Gabe, the second unit director, was going to take over that stuff, and, and the director was going to go to sleep. And so at that point, I had said, you know, everything was kind of falling apart, and I was like, no, we are not. We are absolutely not continuing to work. I mean, we had already been up at least 16, 18 hours working. Um, so that that was the other thing that, that was planned that, mm-hmm. that just didn't happen, which I think further, it's like if we didn't shoot nights, there was no way possible we could even finish shooting. Um, so that's what led us into the fourth day. So the idea of having two crews just didn't didn't pan out. No, because we didn't even have enough people for one crew. Because okay. with two cameras, we didn't have enough. Um, ca- we we barely had enough camera crew, and we only had a few people, you know, working with lights and and, and grip and stuff like that. So we were really really low staffed just for our main crew. Mm-hmm. And to ask them to do another like a night shoot on top of a long day was just. I mean, we could have, you know, someone could have gotten really ill or died from working on the set if we had done yeah. that um okay so i think that's illegal too technically it seems like it probably <laughs> is yeah um <laughs> that's not how hollywood does it <laughs> fair enough um <laughs> so we're gonna so we're gonna we, we're we are going a little slow so i want to try i want to try and speed us up peter i blame you uh, um, it's okay Hey, As up. the camera guy, I feel like it's your fault. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm used to it. I'm used to it. I just like to be thorough. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's very Apologize, important. everybody. No, absolutely. Kind of elitist to me, but that's yes. fine. That's yes. fine. Um, and we are now, now, I've adopted a mocking tone. <laughs> Shoot. Okay. Um, but the point is, so we're going we're gonna to be going into day four. And day four is when things really start to brew, stir. Uh, explode is what explode. I was going to say. It's there you been, go. Or, or boil over, I guess. Boil it's been over. simmering for a while. Um, and so now we're going to get into a discussion that's a little little more broad, uh, inspired by what happened on day four. But uh, this episode is getting a little long, so we're actually going to split it up. So uh, stay tuned for the next episode when you hear all about day four and uh, just some of the lessons that we've learned from uh, from this whole debacle and by which i mean this episode uh so yeah stay tuned for that Uh, not stay tuned it's going to be a completely separate episode uh so it'll probably go up tomorrow uh thanks for listening and i'll get you next time bye